This is Do We Like Movies. It's a podcast where two guys review individual movies, sequels, and occasional television shows. In this show, we talk about our experiences with them, and we answer the question, do we like this movie? Welcome back to Do We Like Movies. I'm your host, Angel. And I'm your bear wench post. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So in case you wanted like uh, just a feel for how this is going to go, <laughs> we and Javi just got on a Zoom call right now. And while I'm like trying to get the wiki page open for the Blur Wish project, <laughs> I somehow mistyped and ended up on something <laughs> called the bear wench project which is apparently the pornographic parody to this week's movie <laughs> the <Blair Witch> project. <laughs> where was angel shared his screen there's like four <laughs> sequels to the bear wench project <laughs> Like, uh, like there's like Angel pointed it out. There's more sequels to the Bear Wench Project than there is of the Blair Witch franchise. <laughs> all right, so this I'm pretty excited for this because we are discussing a movie that I've been kind of wanting to talk about on this show for years, and I'm kind of glad it's happening now. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like. So this is a movie and that that came out in 99. I was what, like 10 years old then and it was everywhere. Like the commercials were everywhere, the posters were everywhere. The website was on and I had I had saw it myself. It was one of those things that like had filtered its way so far into pop culture and I think because of that I you know, well, I'll get into my first thoughts on it, but it really was something that I was kind of a part of. And when I finally got to watch it, it was something different. And remember, uh, mm-hmm. remember when we were kids and for some reason scenes from this movie were aired on Cartoon Network, but with <laughs> Scooby-Doo characters instead of like Josh, Mike and uh, Heather? Yes, the Cartoon like, Network did like a, a series of it was like shorts. They it basically what they had done is they did a like several day marathon of Scooby Doo episodes, the old show from the seventies. Mm-hmm. And between them, they would show these like clips uh, that was like them doing parodies of the Blair Witch Project, and to the point where they actually end up showing the witch in that cartoon. I think <laughs> they did, yeah. And I think yeah. because of that. I didn't realize that that like it was like a gag where it was like they were doing something that the movie wasn't. I legit thought that by the time I actually watched the Blair Witch Project, that it was gonna that it was actually gonna show me the witch. Nah, <laughs> you lied to <laughs> by yourself, son. But it was so weird. That's how much this movie permeated like the weird culture we had back in the late 90s early 2000s where Mm. for some fucking reason some network executive thought it was a good idea to be like hey you know that movie that a bunch of dum-dums think is real let's put that on a kid's channel (laughs) (laughs) 
so it's so weird it's like this weird fever dream that i can't really like i can't really before i rewatch this movie for this podcast i can't tell you what exactly happened in that movie i can only tell you how i felt and the only thing i can use to describe that feeling was pants shitting terror when i was a kid (laughs) because if you saw this at 10 years old i must have been like eight when i saw this movie eight or nine years old when i saw this movie clearly both of us were way too young to have seen movie but i think it's i think that also kind of shielded us from it because i think you and i talked about it going into this film is that i didn't remember much of this movie i'm sure you didn't remember much of this movie because i never saw it again until this this project probably like it's actually kind of funny how few times i've seen the blair witch project And it's like now looking back, I'm like, as a kid, I probably wasn't all that scared about it because I didn't really comprehend what was going on. As an adult, this movie fucking terrifies me. (laughs) Right. So I guess I'll get into my experience with it. I watched the movie finally in 2002 um, with my cousin. We had rented it and she was telling me about how scary it was and all that stuff. And and I was just like, all right, fine. I was like, you know, it's been it's been a few years. Like, nobody really talks about this anymore. But we had spent so much time talking about it on that day. I was just like, all right, I'm going to go ahead and rent it. And, and we're going to watch it. And I'm going to see what all the hype is about. Uh, so we did. And we watched it. And I thought it was okay. I thought it was creepy, I guess. But I again, much like you, like, I, I just didn't think too much of it. And it's one of those things that kind of flew off my radar a bit. Um fast forward and i've seen it a couple times on tv since since then but fast forward to about 2016 2017 i don't know it was like in october um one of those years and i think my wife was working or something and i was just watching a bunch of horror movies to kind of leading up to halloween as i normally do and i rewatched this movie but before I rewatched it, I kind of got in more into the lore, meaning I watched that Curse of the Blair Witch documentary, which aired on Sci-Fi Channel. Um, I remember that. Yeah. Ahead of the actual movie that came out. And mm-hmm. more importantly, I listened to a podcast where they talked about, you know, how part of what you need to do to get the full experience to watch the Blair Witch Project is you have to go to the website. And once I went to the website and read through the mythology and watched the curse of the Blair Witch and then watched the movie again, I, I don't, and I think maybe just another thing is, is just watching it as an adult. I don't know. Because by that point, I had already been like inundated with like four or five like paranormal activity sequels. I was watching those movies, you know, once a year, you know, because all the sequels are still coming out and everything. And I remember like, obviously we've talked about our experience with paranormal activity and i thought that movie was so good that like i thought it was way better than this and that uh, initial screening of paranormal activity is still like the scariest like experience i'd ever had in a movie theater ever Mm -hmm. so it's like this will never comprehend to something like that like my first watch this is the complete opposite it's with every other time that i watch it I get more and more into this movie. 
it's yeah it's very creepifying i think the the lore is interesting the lore behind the blair witch and it's like how in depth they were in fleshing out this backstory that takes place outside of the 90 minute runtime that is the blair witch project is actually pretty i mean it's something that they didn't really do back then you know i think it's what made it such a big deal like this okay so this movie comes out in 99 we have done movies from the 90s you and i have done uh i know what you did last summer and scream for this podcast so we know that that late 90s horror was basically it it kind of became like tiktok right it became the trendy genre oh like it, it was it was the all right so this is what we're gonna do to, you know we got a horror movie we got to have a slasher killer we have to have all the like most attractive actors from whatever the hot tv show is on network television and then we're going to cast them as the teenagers in this movie they're going to get off and it's just going to be all this witty smart kevin williams ms dialogue mm-hmm. and it really did feel like you know the horror was back but it almost kind of felt like like you had this feeling that we'd never be able to go back to how it was before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're like, damn, like I remember stuff like the actresses being scary or like other movies that came out in the eighties. And you're like, man, that was so much scarier than movies. Now movies now aren't scary anymore. And then this kind of made its way through festivals mm-hmm. and slowly started building the critical mass that it did once, you know, like we were in late 99 and it just became such a big, Deal. The other thing too is that like at this time, like I had cable, I had cable television, like for the first time ever. <laughs> so besides the fact that I got to watch that documentary on Sci-Fi Channel, uh, there was also that like pay-per-view preview channel where like they would show you like clips of this movie. Oh, you know, this Sunday it's like <laughs> Blair Witch Project, and they would show like it wasn't even like a trailer for the movie. All they would show is like this footage of them uncovering like the, the, like the film canisters and everything. And it was Mm -hmm. them talking about it. Like it was just basically done in the, in the style of a news report. And I just remember being like, so freaked out by that. So. Damn it. The website got taken down. It is. It did. But if you go to the, uh, if you go to the, uh, what's the internet archive or something like that mm-hmm. you can find it in internet archive uh, i don't want to freak myself out right now we're recording this episode late well don't like, worry about it because i'm actually looking at that page right now and i'm going to get into the mythology before we start getting into the actual story of this movie all right i know nothing about the mythology so this will be actually really fun to get into where you are going to get a very cold uh reaction from me or you okay. know in I should actually turn off my video unless you're recording me for the podcast funsies. Oh, okay. So I, or you, you can refuse to click the link and then I'll explain to you the time, the the timeline of the event. Some, so some of these are done in the movie itself. So the movie revolves around three, uh, should I click on mythology? So, so the movie revolves around three student filmmakers, um, you know, in Maryland, uh, Heather Donahue, Heather's the only one who you get her full name, but Heather, Mike, and Josh are the three college uh, filmmakers. It's really bizarre to have like just a three-person crew filming a quote-unquote documentary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, you know, this is a, a, what 
kind of works for this movie is the fact that I feel like these three characters, like in college, I was, I, you know, community college is where I went. I never went to university, but, you know, community college projects, I've always had like these type of people <laughs> part of like, mm-hmm. you know, class projects that I've worked on. So it's just the relatability of these three characters is kind of like one of those things that, uh, you know, that that does like it, it, it grounds you in the reality of this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but OK, so they are considered part of the mythology on this website. So I will start with the very beginning of you know the timeline of the history of the Blair Witch. So it starts with in February of 1785, several children accuse Ellie Kedward of luring them into her home to draw blood from them. Kedward is found guilty of witchcraft, banished from the village during a particularly harsh winter and presumed dead. November 1786, by midwinter, all of Kedward's accusers, along with half the town's children, vanish. Fearing a curse, the townspeople flee Blair and vow never to utter Ellie Kedward's name again. Ooh, can I get the next one? Because I want to I wanna practice my true crime voice. <laughs> sure. November 1809. The Blair Witch Cult is published. This rare book, commonly considered fiction, tells of an entire town cursed by an outcast witch. 1824, Brookettsville is founded on the Blair site. August 1825, 11 witnesses testified to seeing a pale woman's hand reach up and pull 10-year-old Eileen Trakel into Tappy East Creek. Her body is never recovered, and for 13 days after the drowning, the creek is clogged with oily bundles of sticks. Ew, that's <laughs> creepy. Yep. <laughs> All right, so March 1886. Eight-year-old Robin Weaver is reported missing and search parties are dispatched. Although Weaver returns, one of the search parties does not. Their bodies are found weeks later at Coffin Rock, tied together at the arms and legs and completely disemboweled. Oh, that's what the fishermen are talking about, huh? That's right. And of course, probably, you know, this is where we're getting to more of the modern stuff. Uh, We get November 1940 to May 1941, starting with Emily Hollards, a total of seven children are abducted from the area surrounding Burkittsville, Maryland. May 25th, 1941, an old hermit named Rustin Parr walks into a local market and tells the people there that he has finally finished. After police hike for four hours to his like secluded house in the woods, they find bodies of seven missing children in the cellar. Each child has been ritualistically murdered and disemboweled. Parr admits to everything in detail, telling authorities that he did it for an old woman ghost who occupied the woods near his house. He's quickly convicted and hanged. Let me do uh, the 94s, and then I'll let you finish up. October 20th, 1994, Montgomery College students Heather Donahue, Joshua Leonard, and Michael Williams arrive in Burkittsville to interview locals about the legend of the Blair Witch for a class project. Heather interviews Mary Brown, an old, quite insane, an old, quite insane woman who has lived in the area for her whole life. Mary claims to have seen the Blair Witch one day near Tappy Creek in the form of a hairy, half-human, half-animal beast. 
In the early, oh, October 21st, 1994, in the early morning, Heather interviews two fishermen who tell the filmmakers that Coffin Rock is less than 20 minutes from town and easily accessible by an old logging trail. The filmmakers hide into the black or hike into the Black Hills Forest shortly thereafter and are never seen again. October 25th, 1994, the first APB is issued. Josh's car is found later in the day parked near on Black Rock Road. October 26, 1994, the Maryland State Police launched their search of the Black Hills area, an operation that lasts 10 days and includes up to 100 men aided by dogs, helicopters, and even a flyover by the Department of Defense satellite. November 5, 1994, the search is called off. 33,000 man-hours fail to find a trace of the filmmakers or any of their gear. Heather's mother, Angie Donahue, begins an exhaustive personal search for her daughter and her two companions. Go ahead, take it away from June. June 19, 1995, the case is declared inactive and unsolved. October 16, 1995, Students from the University of Maryland's Anthropology Department discover a duffel bag containing film cans, dat tapes, video cassettes, a Hi8 video camera, Heather's journal, and a CP16 film camera buried under the foundation of a 100-year-old cabin. Videotapes. When the evidence is examined, Burkittsville Sheriff Ron Cravens announced that the 11 rolls of black and white film and the 10 HI eight videotapes are indeed the property of Heather Donahue and the crew. December 15, 1995, after an initial study of the bag's contents, select pieces of film footage are shown to the families. According to Angie Donahue, there are several unusual events, but nothing conclusive. The family questions the thoroughness of the analysis and demanded another look. February 19, 1996, the families are shown a second group of clips uh, that local law enforcement officials consider to be faked. Outraged Mrs. Donahue goes public with a criticism of Sheriff Cravens, restricts all access, and Sheriff Cravens restricts all access to the evidence, a restriction that two lawsuits failed to lift. March 1st, 1996, the Sheriff's Department announces that the evidence is inconclusive and the case is once again declared inactive and unsolved. The footage is to be released to the families when the legal limit of classification runs out October 16th, 1997. And finally, October 16th, 1997, the found footage of their children's last days is turned over to the families of Heather Donahue, Joshua Leonard, and Michael Williams. Andy Donahue contacts Haxon Films to examine the footage and piece together the events of October 20th to 28th, 1994. So the conceit of this movie when it was first coming out is that this was the foot is that, you know, in 1997 on October 16th, Heather's parents found the footage uh, and they turn it over to the director's of the Blair Witch Project <laughs> in real life. So I guess it's like almost turning them into part of the canon, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so the directors, uh, Daniel Myrick and Eduardo Sanchez. <clears throat> that um, is wild. I'm like clicking through the website and there's like, there's like the evidence where they show you like yeah. grainy pictures of where they found all the, the film canisters and the cameras in the house. So what makes this movie so part of why it became such a phenomenon in 99 was because, you know, the internet was 
really kind of in its infancy you know it what was I mean? a baby <laughs> like you, you this was a movie that you probably might have heard about in like aol chat rooms or something like that <laughs> you know like it was this was a world of older technology and even the footage is supposed to be from 94 so we're talking about a time of much you know earlier technology and uh, i think it's it's one of the things that's interesting about this movie is to kind of go look back and see what the world was like right before kind of like this modern 2000s like world that we live in now right um they shoot this on a camcorder with dat tapes um and the other camera that they use is a 16 millimeter camera black and white and those cameras only do picture like to get sound you basically need to have a separate like microphone kind of like a boom setup so what's really kind of like neat and creepy and just like it's one of those things that like really kind of like weirds you out is the person holding the camera is not always the person holding the mic you know what i mean mm-hmm. sound sound equipment is mike mike is the guy who's holding all the sound equipment mm-hmm. in a lot of cases josh or heather can be wielding that 16 millimeter camera and you'll be in a position where the camera is like shooting something and you'll hear Heather like from far away or something like that, even though she's like filming it, you know, like it's, it's, it, 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 it kind of trips you out. Like, you know what I mean? To just think about it that way. Definitely. Like, it's just, it, it, you know, this movie at the time it came out probably had like the cutting edge stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. And I remember I even made the joke that one of our friends makes all the time when I started watching this movie and I told you that, wow, this movie feels like sandpaper on my eyeballs because of how grainy and bad it looks. But on retrospect, like after watching it, I'm like, that's what kind of adds to the mystique of it. That's what adds to the possible realism of it and gives the movie character, you know, and it makes you want to like be immersed more into the lore. Well, it also changes, like you realize just how, how much of a pioneer this movie is because even though stuff like cannibal holocaust came out or last broadcast or there were like movies that were around the same time that kind of did this stuff or even like you know cannibal holocaust from the 80s like this was the movie that gave birth to the modern found footage format so it's like by the time you get to something like paranormal activity everybody's got slick high def cameras you know, the sound is on board with it. You can sit the camera down on a tripod. You know, like, it's just, it, it's the style and the banter that takes place. Like, all of those things don't exist if this movie doesn't exist. 100%, and, yeah. And the other thing that really works about this movie is, is, okay, so this is a horror movie that supposedly is bringing back witches, right? You know, it's like, you're in a place where witches, vampires, frankenstein werewolf like these things are old 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 monsters that people may have found terrifying in like the 20s and the 30s you know in the birth of film and it's like once those things have been so overexposed for decades it's like how can you possibly try to make those things scary again and oh they found a way (laughs) well yeah and that's the thing in the 90s it's like it's like all right it's like we're gonna we're gonna make this completely frightening by creating this monster that you basically have to picture what they look like we're not going to show it to you at all Mm -hmm. and but you know but it's very clearly supernatural and it's very clearly you know 
some sort of witch-like presence that's following them. <laughs> so I think with that, let's just jump into it. Huh? I'm ready to start talking about some Blair Witch. Sure. All right. So the movie kicks off with uh, Heather Donahue in her apartment. You know, we get introduced to our three characters. Uh, she is having a conversation with Mike. And if you watch Curse of the Blair Witch, you'll realize that she and Mike have worked together several times on different projects. Mm. <laughs> Funny enough, too, it's like, I mean, their friendship seems platonic. But if you watch Curse of the Blair Witch, they interview, you know, air quotes, they interview uh, Josh's girlfriend and how she talks about how she was not crazy about the idea of him going off with Heather into the woods for several days. (laughs) And they do show like several pictures of like Josh and Heather together and they're a little cozier than what you would Mm. think of friends being like, even though it's like they don't suggest anything of the sort like in this movie when you're watching it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in this movie, it just seems like everyone has, you know, everyone's friends. Like everyone knows, uh, at least knows of each other, and has worked in some capacity. Well, Heather, it, it Heather, made... and Josh know each other, but well, Heather is... doesn't know Mike. This is her first yeah. time meeting Mike. That's what I was gonna say because there was one part where she does like, and that already that that does kind of come off as like kind of an issue, right? Not an issue, like a big issue. But it's weird. Um, it does set up like this weird interaction that then later gets exacerbated later in the film, where there's already kind of like this mistrust between Mike and Heather, and it only gets worse like as the supernatural occurrences get like continue. I feel like she kind of invites that because the first thing you get is, "Hey, it's Mister Punctuality." You know, it's like I thought she said that to Josh. No, I think she's no, she says that to Mike when they pick Mike up. And I'm like, why would you say that to somebody you don't know? <laughs> or like, you know what I mean? Like, is that really like you're meeting somebody for a group project for the first time? It's like, is that really the first thing you're gonna say to them? I mean, it's the first thing I would say, but I'm me. <laughs> I'm an antagonist. <laughs> but yeah, as you were saying. Uh, they start making their way out to Burkittsville, Maryland. Right off the bat, just did want to mention something about interesting about the location is that, yeah, Maryland, like just that kind of eastern seaboard going into Virginia. And like, you know, there is a lot of woods, like there's a lot of woods, there's a lot of forests, mm-hmm. there's a lot of like, there's a lot of uh, national park area that is, you know, what this movie does is it makes nature creepy. You know, like, I think we tend to believe that because we're humans and we've built roads and buildings and cities and all this shit that nothing can touch us. And it's like, no, you try to go survive out in the wilderness for a little bit. It will humble you. <laughs> yeah. And and I think maybe that if there is a sin that these people commit, it's maybe the fact that they don't have enough respect for what they are getting themselves into by going out camping in the middle of nowhere where they don't really know you know what I mean? Like what they're getting themselves into. No, like, because right off the bat, you're learning that one, they don't really believe in any of the Blair Witch folklore or any of the mm-hmm. Blair Witch urban myths. And they're learning as they go. So it's not like they did a whole bunch of research and going in. <laughs> the other thing that makes me laugh is that when you see Heather, she's reading a book, supposedly reading a book called How to Survive in the Woods. And <laughs> funny enough she never opens up that book to read it in the days and days that they get lost in the woods shut up i i buy books and don't read them <laughs> i feel like i'm being attacked 
<laughs> it kind of reminds me of like you know for anybody who watches basketball it's like lebron james who you know i think is a brilliant guy and and it's fun to tease him because he's you know we love the, the man we hate the player yeah it's just fun to tease him but but there is like a thing where it's like every book that he reads going into like a game particularly like the autobiography of malcolm x it's like anytime that they catch him like reading something or there's a picture taken of him reading something he's always on the first page <laughs> Or it seems like he's just getting started <laughs> reading that book and he like never gets that far into it. Nah. So it's like that's the impression I get of Heather like reading <laughs> How to Survive in the Woods. Is the she very... probably read the cover page and the introduction and uh bye, I'm going to the woods for seven days. <laughs> and I got this. Uh, yeah, yeah, drink my own urine. I know what to do. No, we all know what to do. <laughs> And the other thing too, it's like it's like, do they even know how to read maps? Do they even know how to follow the compass? Like, like there's not enough you know about these characters that makes you believe that they both respect what they're getting themselves into and have an idea of how to get themselves out of it or a good back out plan if it does not mm-hmm. work. Um, and you can blame part of that on being a college student, I guess, but it's it's being young, dumb, and full of cum. <laughs> um, so, so we we get the you know the banter of them getting together. They go to the grocery store. You see the marshmallow gag where she's just like pushing the camera into the marshmallows. But then from there, you get you start getting the interviews of the townsfolk. Of I love the townsfolk interviews. Yes. I want all townsfolk interviews to be this. And funny <laughs> enough, I think they're all all of them were instructed to tell the stories that they were telling i believe with the exception of one person and you might be surprised to find out who that person is really yeah so you get you get the two fishermen you get the uh grocery store uh owner um He's the one who tells the story about Rustin Parr, which is the mm-hmm. guy who was kidnapping, you know. And you notice it's kind of the older people that that tend to know the story. Um, you get the guy who's like, I don't know, sitting in his driveway or whatever, or standing mm-hmm. in his driveway. They, they talk about how his grandma used to tell him like the story to get him and his brother to go to sleep. Yeah, because the, the witch would come around and get him. Yeah. <laughs> I feel um, like every culture has the witch that'll come get you for us. It's like you don't know. <laughs> And then you, you get to the younger kids and they're like, you know, like, oh, I don't really know about that. And then one of them goes, I have a friend that goes to Blair High School. <laughs> and uh, it's just like, you know, it's, you could tell it's like an older folks tale. Um, yeah, but definitely. the person. So there's there's now we have, you know, the last two people. Um, we have the mother with her child. Um, and then we have Mary Brown, who is like crazy old lady in the trailer um she's the crazy cat lady from the simpsons yeah um and she's basically set up it's like it it's of course she saw the witch like she looks like a witch she's got a bony face (laughs) and you know outside of her house the fence like looks exactly like those like stick figures that they're gonna find in the forest later Mm -hmm. You know, and she's the one that tells the story about like having found, like seeing the witch and seeing what it looks like and all that kind of stuff. And seeing that she was all furry from head to toe and kind of looked like a horse, had a weird face or whatever. And they kind of like don't believe her. (laughs) And they kind of tease her as they leave (laughs) her house. 
And it's like, you fucking idiots. She was probably the most right out of all. Um, and a lot of the, you know, really this movie had like a 30 page script or something like that. So mm-hmm. much of this movie is improvisational. And I think it's kind of like what the magic of this movie is. But wait, wait, wait. funny enough, the person who, you know, basically ad libbed like their entire story mm-hmm. was the mother with the with the child. Um, really? And it's That's funny. What I figured. Yeah. She made up the story about the Blair, you know, about, you know, something that happened to a couple of kids uh, that got lost. And the kid is covering her mouth and saying, no, 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 like doesn't want to hear mm-hmm. it and stuff like that. Yeah, that is that is apparently. Yeah, that's apparently like just something that she came up with right on the spot. Dang, that was awesome. Yeah, that was probably the best one, too. Uh, no, one thing before before you get off topic, it was interesting hearing Mary Brown talk about the uh talking about the uh what the Blair Witch looked like how she looked like like this half beast like furry creature right because immediately now that I'm getting involved in cryptids and like learning more thanks to lost podcast on the left but also like other podcasts and kind of like thanks to TikTok actually I don't know if this has happened to you yet but have you found your way on the Appalachian TikTok yet absolutely not okay what is this? so appalachian tiktok is people talking about that live out in the appalachian mountains that talk about creepy unexplainable events that happen to them and some of like the eerie noises they hear and no. yes oh. motherfucker and uh. one of the coolest lines that i've heard come out from this is if you're ever in appalachia and you hear screaming in the woods, or if you hear something from the woods, no, you didn't. Oh, Get yeah. In your no, house. no, no. You have to ignore it. Yeah. Like, it was wild. And, like, so I've been on that part of TikTok lately. I've been learning more about cryptids and, like, skinwalkers <laughs> and shit and wendigos and shit. Mm-hmm. So it's, like, apparently, which we're not even supposed to talk about. So even talking about it's stupid. Like, apparently, I shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> But I'm an idiot, apparently. But I'm trying to also educate some people. Don't fuck around with shit you don't know about. (laughs) I'm also not saying I believe in this shit. But on the off chance that this shit is real, don't fuck around with it. But it was like the the explanation they were giving was very skinwalker. Mm -hmm. uh, Because it reminded me so much of like the last podcast on the left talking about um, the skinwalker ranch out in Utah. And just kind of like the appearances of some of the creatures reminded me so much of the Blair Witch so it made me wonder how much of the Blair Witch was based on actual like indigenous lore that already exists from that area you know because I don't know how I don't know how close it is to the Appalachian Mountains um or if you know Maryland is considered part of Appalachia but immediately that already started sending shivers down my spine (laughs) good luck sleeping tonight you bastard oh god yeah, no, I, it, it's, it, yeah, uh, absolutely. It's some stuff out there. It's just absolutely frightening. And uh, I think that's the, that's the magic of this movie is that, like, it's not even just about what the movie shows you or what just happens in this movie that's frightening. Mm-hmm. It really is, like, the suggestion. All the suggestion is what makes this so terrifying to me. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so they finally get out into into the woods and i think they really only film like 
they film like one day's worth of the actual documentary because the rest of the movie is going to be them like filming their slow descent into madness. <laughs> yeah, because that first day is literally the only day that they're actually trying to get to the, I think they're trying to get to Coffin Rock mm-hmm. and they're trying to get to, I, I don't remember if they're trying to get to, um, to Rusty, Rustin Parr's house. But I know Coffin Rock for sure. Okay. So do you want something a, that's going to freak you out? Oh, I'm ready since I already right. freaked you out with the <laughs> Appalachia talk. <laughs> well, no, because, okay, so the Rustin Parr house shouldn't exist because after brother? Rustin Parr had admitted to his crimes and after everything was discovered, um, the townspeople in like a blinding mob like. Halloween in a Halloween kills, kills yes. type of mob. <laughs> they basically went full Haddonfield and burned this guy's house down. That's creepy. That is terrifying. So the house that they end up going to at the end of this movie, for all intents and purposes, should not exist. And it's if you want to like take a... it a step further, the footage mm-hmm. that is found a year after these kids get lost in the woods in 1995 is apparently found in the foundation of a hundred year old house. So it is very likely that the foundation of Rustin Parr's house is under the foundation of Rustin Parr's house is where this footage was buried. And uh, yeah, it, it just goes to show you that something supernatural did in fact happen in the woods to them. Oh my God. That is so terrifying. I love it. <laughs> this movie has layers to it and it's, it's like a puzzle one. box it is it is it, the fact that it's got so much room for interpretation and so many different like conspiracy theories that you could like have around it like you know there's like the people who think the theory of you know that they weren't really looking for the Blair Witch and that in that in fact it's like Josh and Mike that were actually like luring Heather in the woods to kill her um the one I was I was kind of like you know that that i like more is the one that josh basically sets them both up and he's the one or like josh is like the guy who makes a deal with the witch and like gets them both set up to die or whatever oh that's interesting that's that that's my thing like because he's the one who knocks over the rocks you know like that they kind of like they as find. a signal for her to come right yeah. Oh God. Anyway, yeah. So on that, actually, on that topic. So after they came for the night, which was very uneventful, the next day they worked their way over to an old cemetery where there are those piles of rocks, which are called cairns. And looks like Josh accidentally, quote unquote, knocks one over, depending on what what uh what school of thought you are in. And that night is when they start hearing like the twigs snapping, and that's when they start feeling like something is 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 coming around the campsite well, right the most the the kind of like the the other thing too if you're really on team you know josh is the actual killer mm-hmm. <laughs> um what's it called josh the first night they don't even film um it's like when all three of them are waking up in the morning and josh is the one telling them the story of the fact that he heard noises at night and the mm-hmm. fact that one of them was cackling so it's yeah so you know even before you hear the twigs cracking or what sounds like rocks banging together you know that second night which is creepy because it just like 
it it, it sounds both it's like, like far away and also just like loud at the very same time oh yeah 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 it's what you were talking about it's like how they play around with sound so well in this film and then um so yeah so it's like after that uh the next night they hear more twigs snapping and in the morning they actually find three piles of rocks Zoom is supposed to symbolize for them, right? Uh, and that that morning is when Heather finds out that her map is gone. Mm-hmm. And then it's like as they try to, they're trying to hike their way back to Josh's car, I believe. Um, you know, this is kind of like where the psychotic breaks start happening. <laughs> I don't want to say psychotic break, but this is where the pressure really starts building and really starts getting to them. Yes. And it's and you know you have that scene where it's like Mike just kind of loses it and he admits to Josh and Heather that he kicked the map in the water or into the creek because he didn't think it was helping them. Yeah. And he just he'll, he'll do that. He'll do that a day or two. Yeah, he does that like a day or two later. But mm-hmm. but yeah, just like the next like several days when you're going in like it's just like they're all getting increasingly angry and it feels so real because there's parts of the day where they like all get along and they kind of make jokes and then there's Mm -hmm. like you know like the you know they're all talking about gilligan's island for a while or like when they're talking about like you know i just want to eat this this and that like you know like the things that they like want to do when they get home like it's just it's so human right like it's just you have moments where you feel absolutely like you don't have any control over anything and then at the same time it's like you have these like bizarre moments where they all kind of have it together but it's like you can't even really relax in those moments because you feel like someone's gonna explode at someone else it's like (laughs) everyone is constantly walking on eggshells and i'm sure you already know about this story about the film canisters that the filmmakers would leave for the cast Mm mm-hmm yeah, so like I guess for listeners, because that's kind of how podcast <laughs> mediums work, <laughs> is that in case you didn't know, so with the filmmakers' main way of communicating with the um with the cast, because pretty much the idea was the cast were their own crew. So the directors would leave uh messages that would be like just for Heather. And it would tell her, act like you have a secret that you can't tell anybody else. And so she would improv that into the scene that they were working on. Or, uh, you know, like they would have, like the guys would get um, canisters that would give them notes that said, hey, um, Heather's hiding food from y'all. Y'all should get aggressive with her. And so that would incorporate then the scene. And you actually do see that a lot where there are times where it feels like Mike and Josh really get up on Heather. And, like, I remember I texted you. I don't remember Josh being so, like, aggressive towards her. Dude, Josh is sneaky evil. He is. Like, and that's starting to really make me think maybe he is working with the witch. Well, the thing is, too, it's like, I mean, Mike, like, Mike will get aggressive with Heather, but it's like, but he's also, like, knows his boundary too like you know because he just doesn't know her that well so even though he'll get angry at her there's also moments where he calms down where even he calms heather down like telling her okay just give josh the space leave him alone let him relax Mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff whereas like i don't think josh has that same thing it's like his 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 pressure goes up he like and he like 
berates her, screams at her. Like it almost feels like like a husband like yelling at his wife in public or like, it's, you know what I mean? Or like mistreating his wife in public. Like it's just there's just really uncomfortable energy when Josh is like yelling at Heather that even like Josh and even Mike and Heather like getting angry at each other like it doesn't hit that same like level of discomfort for me <laughs> no it is mega abusive like it gives off mega abusive energy yeah like it's pretty insane um so what was it yeah they try to use Mike's compass and uh you know this is after Mike admits to throwing the to throwing the map into the water or into the into the uh, river, so they end up using his compass and decide to just head south because they figure if they go south, if they just pick a direction and walk, they're eventually going to run into something or someone. So they start uh, hiking in one direction, and this is where they come upon the little twigmans, <laughs> the little twig people. Um, that were left they end up finding three and you know they find that they're suspended from trees and later that night is when they start hearing even more noises at this point is when they start hearing chill like children's laughter um and this is the night that something runs up on their tent and starts shaking it violently uh which is freaking terrifying it catches you off guard so really the scariest part of it for me is like it's very clearly like the sounds of like kids mm-hmm. but at the same time the, there's just like one sound that one of the kids makes that like it just like has this like gargle like growl like kind of thing like just quality to it that it is the one that like it, it like picks into my brain when I hear it <laughs> Mm-hmm. and it just freaks me out and of the course very, all this sh- mm-hmm. it's like the very non-human sound right it's like yes. the hu- it's the sound that sounds like it's trying to be human but it's mega not it's the one and it's funny because it's like you you know that i think it was like the director's like nephews or something like that like it was a group of kids that they basically like had that would run around and like scare them in the middle of the night but it's just like, it's like, God, whoever that kid was that decided to come up with that sound, because I know that's a sound a kid would make. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just like, it is so smart because I swear when I heard, when I watched that movie, when I was younger, I thought that was the witch. <laughs> I was like, like she's there. She's I was like, that's what the witch is. The other thing too, is like, I had been a while since I saw it the first time. And I thought it was like the witch, like humming at first, like I, I didn't, terrifying. I didn't remember that it was like kids, and it's like now you know it's clearly kids. But for some reason in my brain, like I had told myself that it was a humming witch. <laughs> that part didn't just didn't register. No, and and so this is the part where I'm gonna go back to Appalachian TikTok. <laughs> okay, and if you find yourself in the wilderness, here are some tips that you guys need to know. One, if you find if you come upon shit, don't fuck with shit. If you come on kerns, stacked rocks, weird twig people, just don't touch it, don't acknowledge it, just keep on moving. Because the thing is, and you can argue that this is a part of, I guess, Americana mythology, where the moment you start acknowledging it is when it starts following you, it targets you, and it chooses you to be the next victim. And I believe, this is why I still believe that the Blair Witch... um, 
the Blair Witch was just hunting these three because they just happened to be there uh, was because I still believe Josh accidentally knocked that because he knocked those rocks over. It was what put them on, you know, the witch's radar, essentially. So that's one thing. Again, if you're out at night, don't go running. (laughs) Don't go running at night. You're more likely to get lost. I think there's like a scene where Heather starts running into the night trying to find Josh or some shit like that. Like, it's just, you know, just wait, wait till sunlight. It is, of- it is the most shocking scene because I swear, like, I would watch the trailers for it. And I thought that was the witch because it's mm-hmm. like, because it's the black and white 16 millimeter camera that's shooting Heather running away. And it's like in shadow and light and shadow and light and shadow and light. And it just like looks like a ghost that's like blurring in and out of like view, mm-hmm. you know, that that Mike is running behind. Um, and that and that's the one that night Josh is still with them. That yeah. is like the night he disappears. Oh, and um, it's crazy, too, because the other thing about this movie is like it really gives you like the anxiety that these characters feel like when you're hearing them talk about how long they've been hiking in one direction and how they end up back where they like were hours ago. And it doesn't make any sense that they're back there. And then the part of it that just gives you anxiety is you're like, oh, my God, I know that they've been walking for hours and then it's about to be nighttime again. And it's like just like something like paranormal activity. Anytime that you know that night is coming, it's like you know that things are going to get worse and something bad is about to happen. Because it just keeps escalating. They do a good job of the escalation. It never gets too crazy until the very end, you know? Well, and the funny part, too, is we were supposed to see the witch. We were supposed to catch a glimpse of the witch. And it was actually supposed to be in the scene where the camera is running behind Heather and when Heather screams, what the fuck is that? Mm-hmm. The camera was supposed to pan to the left and you were supposed to catch the glimpse of what you were led to believe was the witch. Mm-hmm. And they basically had something. I don't know exactly what it was. I don't know if it was a person in a suit or some sort of figure or whatever. But you were supposed to see something and the camera was supposed to point at it. The problem was that the actors, like, I guess, like, were too terrified or just like didn't think to point the camera like you know just like stabilize it yeah where you could actually see what was happening there and instead what you just hear is like heather's like frightened scream because she saw something Mm -hmm. but you didn't see what she saw (laughs) which is almost it's better than seeing what the witch yeah absolutely Because again, it's uh, it leaves it up to your own interpretation what she could have seen and whatever terrifies you could be what terrified her. Um, so yeah, after the night with the children, uh, the children's laughter uh, when they they find that all their stuff has been like you know gone through, like people have been looking through it. The scary specific- part about that night is that that night, like they never go back to the tent. They basically just sit outside in the dark until it turns daytime that's right i forgot about that and like that's when you know daytime happens they go to the camp and you know josh like has like that's where his bag's covered in that weird slime yeah which the website tells us is oil and that's basically like mark for death sort of thing basically yeah and so later that night um or yeah well that's when they realized that they cross a river similar to the one they crossed at the beginning 
and but they just realize that they've just been walking in this giant circle mm-hmm. and so the next morning they wake up and this is where josh has disappeared right and okay. so- now this night before we get too far into it mm-hmm. so by the time we're in this day the last day with with josh um and you know the three of them are in the tent the night we're in josh they're all talking about what they're going to eat when they get home and stuff like that and how josh is like last words in the movie are i want my mom's mashed potatoes and like mm-hmm. you know a piece of ass or something like that right like that's yeah. what he said yeah. and it's like that's the last scene that you get but by that time if we're to read if we're to like look at the timeline of where these guys are by this point the like so they they go they 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 interview the fishermen on the 21st this mm-hmm. is like four days later five days later by the time that they're all like you know kind of like lost and going in circles the apb's already gone out and mm-hmm. josh's car is going to be found that night that they're all like talking about that in the tent and the day that Josh disappears, that's when the state police is already launching their search of the area. So mm. it's just really crazy how like it, it like also kind of makes you think because th- there's the 2016 Blair Witch sequel, which is not canon to this. Like it was a completely different director. The uh, the Adam like Wingard like I don't know if you've like produced it or directed it or something like that. Mm. There was some sort of movie that was like a sequel to this and and i remember seeing it like i watched a couple years ago. and that movie kind of posits that 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 you get stuck in like you know that the forest pocket dimension yeah yeah that the forest changes around you and you go in circles but i remember like the forest in that movie feeling like super like a set or something that was like a very controlled environment. Oh, whereas of course, because this yeah. is an indie movie where they barely had a budget, like this just th- this area just feels real, like more tactile and real than anything in that sequel. That oh, sequel yeah. that we can choose or you know to include in canon or not. So yeah, that's the one that deposits that the little twig people are voodoo dolls. <laughs> yes. Oh, uh, should watch because it's so bad anyway that but back to the Blair Witch Project um so that night after they spend the day Heather and Mike trying to find Josh that night they're back in their tent and they can hear Josh screaming late into the night uh, but in as they go into the night into the night looking for him, they just can't find him. But they keep hearing his screams and his, you know, screams in pain and begging for help. Um, but they kind of figure that at this point, it's the it's the witch trying to draw them out, and that's like the biggest. That part freaked me out. Because I was thinking, is the witch just, yeah, like that's a legitimate fear. Is it just the witch trying to draw him out of the tent? I think it um, is because or, there's there's a part of it where, where Josh literally yells out to them, follow my voice. And follow my mm-hmm. voice feels like something that Josh would not say. There's nothing in his character that, that, that would say anything like that. Especially and, if he's still screaming in pain. Why would you right. want to follow his voice? Right. 
So it's terrifying because we're not 100% sure what the Blair Witch can do, but apparently the woods are this weird cursed area where people get can get lost and have zero contact with what's going on in the outside world. And now we're learning that the witch can actually like mimic people's voices. Like, oh fucking hey, like the witch is terrifying. The witch, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, the witch <laughs> is just fucking terrifying. Mm-hmm. Uh, man. So the next day, the Heather dis- you know, the next morning, that's when Heather discovers Josh's like ripped up and bloody shirt, like wrapped up in a bundle. And when she opens it, she finds like his teeth, she finds a finger, she finds like it looked like a piece of his tongue in it. Mm-hmm. I remember the, I thought it was fingers. I remember as a kid, I remember the finger and I thought it was just all his fingers cut off. Uh, but it turns out I had no idea about the teeth or the, or the, or the tongue. And at this point, that's when Heather, like she freaks out, has like a panic attack due to this, but she doesn't tell Mike about it. And that night, when they're in their tent is when um, we get the famous like Heather apology scene where she has the camera just like angled at her in a certain way where it just like focuses on her eyes. Right. And where she apologizes to Mike and Josh and their moms and her mom and she assumes responsibility for everything that's happened to them and she just blames them and she just says that she's so sorry and she's so scared because she doesn't know what's going to happen and you just feel for her it's like it's it reminds me of that scene in paranormal activity where katie like just kind of resigns herself to to her possession i want to say it was like the second to last night when when uh when she was like everything's fine like it's fine don't worry about it mm-hmm. like i th- I want to say it was the night before actually before well, that except that's that one is a little bit different because everything's fine now is like her basically fully possessed at that point no, by a demon. so i'm lying uh, i'm lying i'm thinking it's the night before when uh she just talks about how she wants to go to a hotel mm-hmm. so it's that point where she's just like Terror, but you know what I'm saying, right? Like mm-hmm. those last couple of days of the movie where she's just like completely resigned herself. Mike has completely accepted that they are they're kind of screwed, and that's kind of what Heather is experiencing right now. Is just like this is kind of the it for them. Mm-hmm. And so after the apology, um, you know, they that's when they hear Josh is crying into the Josh crying again into the night. Uh, they end up following um, Josh's cries to an abandoned house that has a bunch of like demonic symbols and those creepy like kid uh, handprints all over the walls. And then, um, you know, they, that's when they start like running through the house and they end up down the basement where Mike and Heather end up getting attacked by someone off camera. And yes. oh, and you want to know what the kind of creepiest part about all of this is? So. We're watching everything through Heather's point of view because she's filming with a 16 millimeter camera. Mm-hmm. But Mike is the guy who has the sound equipment. So the sounds that you're hearing of her screaming throughout the house are actually coming from the basement. And that's why it sounds so distorted and far away when <laughs> when she's like screaming and like running oh, back and forth through the house. Oh, I hella never pieced that together. That makes sense. 
Oh, that is creepy. Mm-hmm. Again, so... it's just it's the simplest tricks and techniques that like it, it it's it, you know like when someone tell like you, you and i do it all the time where we talk about like a slow burn joke it's like you know you hear a joke and you're like ah that's funny and then like a day will go by or whatever or it's just like you'll be reminded of that joke and for some reason it, it hits you the second time more than anything that's th- that's this movie at like in terms of like With horror. horror and the scares <laughs> like nothing is gonna jump out of you nothing is gonna like scare you in that moment there's no music or anything like that it's the things that you think about and it's like in what i find about this movie now that i watch as an adult it's every time i watch it something about it gets stuck in my head for a while Mm -hmm. and that is like what makes the horror in it really like potent so as josh gets attacked heather starts screaming after him and chasing and you know for trying to follow him down into the basement talk about mike sorry Oh, Mike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. So when Mike is, you know, Heather follows Mike down into the uh, down to the basement, the final shots of the movie are as Heather rounds a corner downstairs in the basement. We see Mike put in the corner, much like the children that uh, Rustin, what's his name? Rustin Parr, mm-hmm. uh, the way he would kill the, the kids in his murder, like hermit hole, where, you know, Mike is facing the corner so that they don't have to see the other child be killed. And then suddenly Heather's attacked. She drops the camera and the, the movie just ends. No credits, no music, nothing just ends with what you assuming that Heather died. Right. And, and then from there, you can also just like infer like what possibly happened, you know, um, because if you listen to if you watch the Rustin Parr story uh, in the Curse of the Blair Witch documentary, what he talks about in court or whatever when he's interviewed is that he mentions that like or it's mentioned at some point that the reason why one of the kids was placed into the corner while the other one was killed was because, you know, like it implies that he was maybe possessed by the witch and he didn't like what he was doing. So to avoid having kids like look at it, that's why they they would they would stand in the corner. Um, so it's like if you also want to go to the theory that maybe Mike and Josh are both in on it to kill Heather, maybe Mike just doesn't want to see what Josh is about to do to Heather, <laughs> and that's why it's like, you know what I mean? Like it, it's again, it, it's just so open for interpretation and so there's layers to it yeah. with different ways that you can think about it or not. You know, and again, do I think that Josh is really evil? No, I I think just the I think the house stuff alone is enough to tell you that it really is a witch out there, and that is really what happened. But it's just like the fact that it is so open. Um, it's it's smart, you know. Like apparently, like it was this was an ending that uh, you know when they did like certain screenings like leading up to the big release from artist and entertainment i guess now it's a lionsgate movie but it's like, mm-hmm. like just the movies that were being screened for people they were people they didn't really know what to think of that ending and the to the point where they had created like four or five different like hokier endings where you were going to see something and mm-hmm. one of them even included the guy like from the grocery store who was a rustin par guy mm-hmm. that he was going to be the actual killer 
and that it was going to end with he, him telling them that they that see i told you you shouldn't have gone in the woods and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. but that they really wanted to stick with that original ending and probably a good reason that they did because i think it is it, it is an ending that just it caps off this wonderfully vague frightening spooky movie that people don't appreciate enough now and i highly recommend our younger listeners go back and watch it before halloween if they have not already mm-hmm. this i mean yeah we might as well just get into it i like this movie mm-hmm. <laughs> like in case you haven't got it like this movie just does such a good job of world building it does such a good job of like maintaining realism like there's no big names there's no music like i feel like it's an extended universe movie the movie doesn't do a good doesn't do the best job of world building but the website the documentaries the dossiers the books those things help build the world and i feel like this is one of those rare movies where if you do seek out that supplemental material it's that material that makes this even better than it is I, yeah, I just enjoy this movie. I feel like it draws on a lot of, like, even if it wasn't its purpose, it accidentally draws on a lot of, like, mythology from the region, which is really interesting. Like, like when I, when, when you talk to me about Rustin Parr, I can't help but think about the Bunny Man, if you ever heard that story, um, about a hermit that used to survive on rabbits that killed a bunch of kids down in Virginia, actually. <laughs> I think in like the 50s or some shit. It's an urban legend that later um you know took on a life of its own now and that not not candyman style, but it's like it's it started with like um the story started with one thing and ended up to another completely different thing by now. But it's one of those things where it's like this movie does so much to cast doubts on you uh as the as the viewer where you're not 100 percent sure what's going on but that's perfectly fine like it's just yeah like it doesn't it doesn't pull punches at all and the best part no jump scares there's no Mm -hmm. fucking jump scares in this movie everything is just slow burn just ramping up the tension and making you feel eerie the entire time all right so yeah that's pretty much our discussion on blair witch i appreciated the fact that we got to discuss this like kind of late at night quote unquote for you know in terms of how we normally record these episodes and it's definitely adds to the creep factor the fact oh yeah that- my my hair has been on edge like, i've been on edge my my roommate's walking around the house and this is a creaky ass house <laughs> <laughs> oh, i'm probably not sleeping for another hour i'm gonna have oh, to watch yeah. something funny thanks i'm about to scroll through appalachian tiktok after this oh yeah freak yourself out some more <laughs> you know what it doesn't help that this morning when i was in the office like i actually had to go into my office and you know because of covid like no one wants to go in yet i'm the mm-hmm. only one who's kind of there like as early as i am like before 8 a.m it's like dark it's been like gloomy and rainy and all that kind of stuff and my you know i was a genius and i decided that that was the best time you know as i'm prepping a bunch of stuff for work that that was the perfect time for me to like listen to uh blair witch extended materials (laughs) and anthology (laughs) while i'm sitting in a dark office with all the lights off (laughs) and then once the lights come on you just freak the fuck Hey, Angel, how are you going? You're just like, get away from me! Start throwing shit at your co-workers. Get away from me, you witch! 
Oh my god. Well, anyway, thanks for checking out the show, y'all. Yeah. Um, appreciate yeah. you guys continuing to follow us. Um, and <laughs> we're excited that you guys are interacting with us. I, our Halloween kills was actually a pretty popular episode, and a lot of people have reached out. And you know, hey, 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 a listener has even reached out, Javi, talking about you know next year when we do Halloween Resurrection. So, oh yeah, so strap in tight for that what? next year. Wait, people really want us to do Resurrection? Uh, I've at least gotten three requests. Oh, you pieces of shit! <laughs> <laughs> I want names. <laughs> I have some conversations to have. Um, but you know, before oh we do get to Halloween Resurrection next year, our final Halloween episode that will be released on Halloween is going to be on Halloween Two. Uh, so I can't wait to talk about that movie because, yeah, I, I think this really will be one of the funner movies to do. And I'm really glad that before we actually got to the 31st, that we did a movie that to me is genuinely scary. So <laughs> I feel like it's been a pretty successful you know, October month of like, you know, spooky movie reviews. I definitely liked all the stuff. I think we've liked every single movie that we've done here. So I think you know, the only hey, one we didn't, I think the only one we didn't like was, well, the only one I wasn't a huge fan of was Halloween Kills. But yes. I think everything else we have watched and we've enjoyed and hopefully other people have enjoyed them too. Yep. So, um, yep. Continue to, to interact with us on social media and uh, leave us reviews if you can on the Apple Podcast platform. And uh, we'll talk to you guys next time. Later, y'all.